And welcome to the Art Guide Media Podcast. And today we launch uh, a new segment of the Heart Guide Media Podcast. And it's called uh, Blank That Matters. So it's either going to be albums that matter, movies that matter, actors that matter, musicians that matter. Um, and it's going to be like the main segment uh, for these, you know, shows, these episodes where we have a specific topic. Sometimes we're just going to be all over the place and we won't have this segment be the main like segment of the show, but it's going to be blank that matters. So today it is records that matter. And we are starting off 2020 with the 40th anniversary of a record that matters to me and my guest, um, the Ramones. Phil Spector produced End of the Century from 1980. February 4th, 1980, this record came out. We are just a few days after the 40th anniversary of this album. Uh, There's a lot of controversy with this album. Um, A bit of a sound change for the Ramones. Uh, You know, one of the Ramones didn't claims to not have played at all on the record. Um, So very polarizing and controversial album, to say the very least, especially between the members. And uh, there's uh, there's a lot to dig into in this. Um, and uh, I know we, we, we brushed over it when uh, my guest, who is uh, Mr. Lewis Smith, a fellow Ramones uh, aficionado, uh, him and I. And you're going to guess what? I, I know I hear people saying all the time, like, they don't want to listen to podcasts with uh and um. You're going to get it. Why? Because we're very DIY. We, it, we're unprofessional. It's just how it's going to be. And we're going to keep this as punk rock as possible, as dirty, as DIY as possible. So, you know, maybe one day we will get to the point where we're editing. But as of right now, this podcast makes little to no money. And uh, completely fine with that. So we're going to get a little bit of uh, unprofessionalism with some ums and saying the word, uh, you know, the same words over and over again to get our point across. But regardless get off on a tangent that's what we do here we get off on tangents and uh we're keeping a little professional because we're adding a legitimate segment blank that matters today it's albums that matter and it is the ramones end of the century uh there's so much to cut we talked about this uh on episodes w- that i had with our guest today lewis smith we covered i think one two three different ramones episodes we've done all multiple hours long uh, this one probably won't be as long because we're just covering the one album and the controversy and drama surrounding it. But regardless, it's going to be a good one. So I'm very happy that you're listening to this. You can listen on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, let's get into it right now. And here we are, yet another episode delving in to one of our uh, favorite bands. Of course, my uh, the consummate uh, Ramon sidekick, Mr. Lewis Smith. Dude, wonderful to, to be back. I didn't think it would happen again, but it's happening again. <laughs> <laughs> episode four, talking about the Ramones. We're a little bit more segregated into what we're going to talk about today. We're talking about... The Ramones, 1980, end of, the, end of the century, 40th anniversary just five days ago on February 4th, came out on February 4th, 1980, and uh, to say this is a, a polarizing and controversial record is uh, a vast understatement. Yeah, dude, that's it's an extreme understatement. It's kind of weird, like, obviously, you know, I've, I've listened to this album, Michelle Loden, and reviewing it, uh, you know, revisiting it again for this conversation it's a really strange album too. Like, I, I think that was one of the things that I noticed, you know, some of these recent uh, playthroughs, it, it's, it's weird. And, and we'll obviously get into that, you know, in, in finer detail as, as to what I'm talking about when I say it's weird, but it, it's such a strange and, and you're absolutely right, dude. Super polarizing. I think, I think between, you know, with, with the band, obviously, and the label, but also the fans, I feel like people are really, really hot and cold on this. Well, th- this was definitely a, a turning point, I think, for for the band. Uh, you know, it, it's so funny because what... Well, b- before we completely dive into it, this is actually a new segment. I kind of already explained it in our intro, but uh, 
this is, you know, uh, blank that matters. And we'll dive into albums, record, uh, records, uh, bands, movies, artists, directors, and things like that. So this segment, although I think I, I covered it in the intro, but as I was explaining the intro, we're pretty unprofessional, and that's how we roll. Um, uh, this is albums that matter. So obviously, I do think this album matters, and not for the reasons that I think initially people would think that al- an album, when you say an album matters, matters. But we'll uh, we'll tie that in at the end as our thesis as to why this album. Because at the end, we'll be we'll we'll at both express why this album matters. Nice, dude. I dig it. So, it. yeah. So, um, so this is. So the the seeds of this album started pre Rocket to Russia. So with with these songs too, like I know obviously, you know there's there's certain elements to this that really came into play once you know Phil was brought in. Essentially, when this when this whole thing went down, when they went out there, Joey was able to finally meet this person he'd been obsessed with for a super long time you know based on the the stuff he did in the 60s the work he did in the 60s um you know as we know joey's a huge huge fan of of love songs and and ballads and all that stuff but to be able to meet him i think um it it's interesting to hear the 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 breakdown between songs that you can tell this is rocket the russia era ramones versus this is now 1979 into 1980 Ramones, you know, like the, the, the composition of the songs, um, some of the, the, the harder, like I would say the punk, more punk sounding songs, uh, let's go being like my example. But then it's like, uh, well shit, like I'm affected. It's like, I, I'm sorry, but like Didi was not thinking about writing that baseline in 1976 or, you know, when, right, they, right. when they were putting together the first record. Like, um, so it's, it's very interesting. You're, you, you are you're absolutely right, and you know when you, you mention like the seeds of this. Um, and are you talking about the songs, like the song compos- like not necessarily not written? necessarily the songs, but in February '77, uh, Phil Spector went to a Ramon show in L.A. and wanted to assist in the making of Rocket to Russia. Okay, I don't. Right. I I I remember hearing stuff about this. I've never. I don't. I think. Maybe Johnny had maybe confirmed it at one point. I know there was a lot of Phil Spector talk prior to obviously Rock and Roll High School, um, and they, I guess they declined the offer and thought that uh, it wouldn't sound the same without Tommy Ramone. Boy, were they right! And uh, and uh, the, the band obviously refused the initial offer. The management later asked Spector to help with an album because of the lack of the popularity and sales. Um, I mean, it's so funny that, you know, that he wanted to do Rocket to Russia. I'm sure it was before it was really called Rocket to Russia, but, you know, that was the record that they were going to make. But it's it's funny that the Rocket to Russia, that Rocket to Russia is, like, revered as quintessential Ramones now. And it's so funny that they well you know oh the you know the sales aren't what they are for that a road to ruin so we'll bring in phil specter and try to blow this band because this was as we've talked about on the prior episodes this was their was supposed to be their magnum opus this was supposed to be their you know their abbey road dude they they spent two hundred thousand dollars making this record I don't know what that is in today's money, but that is an awful lot of money. And not to say that the the Ramones weren't, you know, a huge band because they were in their own right. But like a, a label like Sire to to have that amount of money going into a band that primarily makes its it made their living on the road versus record sales. I mean, I, I think the takeaway, yeah, we we have a sonically uh, a fantastic album, um, but it, it was just. That was a lot. It, I think it just kind of fell for, short, you know. For with, the for the, the kind of band they were, it definitely was. Even though you you imagine the the Led Zeppelins of the world were, and uh, you know the Eagles of the world were were dropping millions on records, but for a band that wasn't selling millions, were barely mm-hmm. selling probably hundreds of thousands. Um, you know, they were all 
probably you know one of the biggest underground bands of all time uh still to this day you know it, it's very big for uh you know sire records to be spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on a band that like yeah they'll probably recoup it but it probably will take seven to eight months to recoup that money it's not going to be recouped in a week of sales like an eagles record would Right, and, and before we move past it, because I, I, I found this quote that Tommy had said, specifically talking to or talking about Phil, and it, it's in regards to when he had seen them in '77. Apparently, according to Tommy, uh, Phil Spector said that like that was the first live concert he'd seen since the Rolling Stones that actually excited him. Oh, I I, I, him, I like, vaguely remember reading uh, that like excerpt from Tommy saying that. I find that to be absolutely fascinating for for a number of reasons. If he if that's a true statement and Phil is actually actually being uh, genuine in saying that, the, you're talking about a producer who who's worked with George Harrison. You know he he's done work with Len, like this guy has done work with with stars. Now that combined with the fact that he's seen Ramones at that time period, when I would you could one could arguably say they really kind of. It, all the pieces were there. By that point, they had, they had already gotten through like the the early uh, you know live shows that we've seen the footage from, where shit's falling down and and you know they're they're not playing shit correctly. Like they're a well-oiled machine at this point because they've had so much practice. So I find that to be fascinating that he's comparing uh, a Ramones live show to uh to the stones and i i do not know the rolling stones i'm not well versed in them but i know that people have said that they are they were one of those live bands you just had to kind of see kind of like the who you know people put the who and stooges and all that shit out there i, I just think that's a huge compliment to like it, to, it speaks speaks to their live show like performance oh, oh absolutely and it, just because it's relevant at the time um an actual producer for the Super Bowl just came out, and they were talking about how none of the Super Bowl performances, even the national anthem, all run on pre-recorded tracks. It's like a safety net track just in case they can't do it or anything like that. But he came out, and he, he, he pretty much admitted, like, Jewel's performance, I think, in 1998. Her national anthem performance that people loved was a pre-recorded track. And obviously all the bands lip-sync, and some of the li- vocals are live, but not all of them. But there were... The Rolling Stones, when they played the Super Bowl, uh, the, the year escapes me, but they were the only band that performed 100% live. They demanded that they everything be performed live, so there was a huge rush and kerfuff to get all the live, all, get uh, completely mic a drum set within like the course of like six minutes so they could play. But the Rolling Stones, to this day, is the only band that's played 110% live at the Super Bowl. That's wild. So that's, that's, that's insane. So if it's if uh, this Rolling Stones could be credited with anything, it's about keeping rock and roll live. And obviously, we uh, w- we know how you know all these bands are running on you know running tracks and backing tracks and all this stuff. And and there's it's in the the music media all the time. So I mean that speaks to I mean could you imagine the Ramones ever running any kind of track? Like not that they would ever be asked to like run a Super Bowl, but can you imagine? Johnny, like being like someone be like, hey, we're gonna run uh, backing tracks for uh, for for uh, for some of the songs, some backing vocals. Like it wouldn't even like nowhere in hell would that have ever happened to any Ramon show. You know, you knew you were getting, and I think that's kind of like a correlation in something that someone like Phil Spector could see is, you know the Ramones were the, you know, the first band to excite him in that way in a live form since the Rolling Stones is because it was live. It wasn't like super produced, but it's so funny because they went on to like, you know, it was, it was to, you know, record the most produced album that they had ever done for hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's, it's so ironic. Yeah. And, and it's funny too, that the contrast between, you know, a producer who has essentially made his name, you know, that, that wall of sound, um, he made his mark by Uber production. 
and to see a stripped down simplified like rock outfit like the rolling stones live and then following that the ramones it's very interesting to hear that 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 captivated him not right. some insane like over the top like in emerson lake and palmer thing where it's there you know you have a a bunch of synthesizers and a bunch of noise and it's this huge production no he he saw the ramones uh four dudes on stage leather jacket and and they played for they played 120 songs in 60 minutes you know like right or, or whatever like it's that's interesting and uh you know it, it took almost a year close to a year for this album to come out once the production started the production started on may 1st in 79 gold star studios in hollywood and uh i mean it's you know that's a studio where you know the beach boys i think they're they're most like eddie cochran and like uh the beach boys are most most correlated with uh, gold star studios uh but i guess at the ramones request uh ed stasium helped with uh the album's engineering so i think I think Ed Stasium being on board for the engineering is why, even though I think Ramones diehards of the, the latter day say things like, um, you know, obviously it's, it's the most different sounding Ramones record. It's still Ramones. Like, it's still like you can't listen to like some of the songs on it and you, you would never confuse it with any other band. Oh, absolutely, and and even even those songs that are on here that are so vastly different than the entire like the rest of their catalog, um, like for like like Baby I Love You for example. Okay, that that is through and through a Ramon song. Does it sound like any of their other material? No, <laughs> you know th- there might be there might be tinges of it in some of the other more love song, quote unquote love songs. Well, but... it's funny because Joey was the only one that performed on that cover. Right, I- I'm I'm pretty sure that it was all it was all it was all uh, Spectre's people, right? Uh, and Stazen. I, I mean, uh, they never even. I mean, because I mean, it, there's so much to dive into with this, but like the DD claims he didn't play a lick on this record. He said because they were there 13 or 14 days. And not one track had been done. So, so I, uh, I have, uh, I have a book I was, I was taking a look at in prep for this. It's called Ramones: A Complete Twisted History. It's by uh, Dick Porter. And the one thing that I found about like Dee's quotes, and he even uses this because like he. He references Poison Heart. Uh, he references some other like articles and, and stuff. But Didi's accounts of things vary based on I think which Didi you're talking to. Yeah, so, and there's several Didis as we know. Right. So I, I'm I'm wondering if he because he said something similar in here too, where he was like essentially he didn't admit to not playing like the quote that i found in this book he didn't admit to not playing on the tracks but he basically thanked he's like i you know i'm thinking ed stasium i'm I'm thinking uh you know specters guys and he names who they are but he's like they essentially made this record right So, so i'm wondering if that is kind of his uh not admitting that he didn't play on there but you know, again, they were they were there for thirteen days. You said, I in, in, in Hollywood. From what I've read, that they they were there at least. Oh well, I mean, altogether, I think that they were there for, uh, for months. But in you know, in different spaces, like there was times when just Joey would be there, mm-hmm. and uh, there was times where just Marky would be there, and they said, you know, you know, Dee uh, Dee has went on record, and Johnny went on record to saying that they spent weeks on the drums and some nights they spent just on the same beat, just hours on the same beat, making Marky do it over and over again. That, and, and, and you know, we, we've obviously seen that in the end of the century and they all kind of talk about that. Um, you know, how, did, how is it referred to the, the Chinese water torture? I think. Yeah, that's, that's uh, the, that's the, something that uh, Stasium and I think Seymour Stein just said yes. that, uh, I think I have the quote right here, actually. Uh, Johnny was forced by Spectre to repeat his parts hundreds of times over the course of several hours. Sire Records owner Seymour Stein relates, To Johnny, this must have been like Chinese water torture. Marky states, He was from the Bronx. I was from Brooklyn. We got along very well and had a nice rapport. But he had his way of working that was very slow, and the Ramones had their work- way of working, which was very fast. So it would sometimes irk everybody. That led to animosity with Johnny and Dee Dee. 
<laughs> so so it, I, I i found this quote in here and it's funny because we're talking about th- this is a this is a uh stasium let's see yeah so essentially after johnny had like threatened to leave and phil's like you know you're not going anywhere and yeah blah, 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 blah. um apparently station said that like Phil agreed not to torture Johnny anymore. So part of, part of me wonders if this in some like strange way was Spectre kind of attempting to, to in his put, mind, put, push him over the edge to, so he right. could be like, fuck it. Right. Or, or, you know, he, he was essentially, you know, trying to really push these guys and be like, you know, do you want to do a garage record or do you want to do an album? You do want to put together an album that's like very well produced and precise and with pinpoint accuracy. Right. And I mean, there's been so many, uh, you know, Marky claims there was no, that he was a registered gun owner, but he never wielded or showed a gun. Uh, Johnny and Didi, on the other hand, uh, both say... Uh, otherwise and this was a whole thing and obviously it's so like i don't i don't know what the the word is like i don't want to say kismet because it wasn't it didn't work out so well for the young lady that phil specter ended up uh did he get acqui- he get acquitted for that right or did he find found he got found guilty right yeah i thought i i believe he was found guilty so like what oh three i think is when he went in like he was actually being tried for or, or when that process was happening right i'm pretty sure he was i'm like he's definitely was found guilty like, so we knew that them. he was a gun owner and a gun nut, to say the least. And I, I mean, I think if there was any, I mean, Marky obviously, like him and Phil Spector got along. I think more than anyone. So Marky just seems to have his back. But uh, you know, Dee Dee says that uh, in early sessions, Spector reportedly held Ramones hostage at gunpoint. According to Dee Dee, when Spector, obviously, as we know, Dee Dee's uh, word isn't as solid as. You know, some of the other versions of DD, so we take it with a grain of salt, but when Johnny backs him up, we kind of got to believe it. Because he goes on to say that there was a three-hour private meeting with Joey away in his mansion uh, where the album was to be recorded. DD went looking for him the next, th- and DD says, the next thing I knew, Phil appeared at the top of the staircase shouting and waving a pistol. Uh, and then DD went on to say, he leveled his gun at my heart and motioned for me and the rest of the band to get back in the piano room. He only holstered his pistol when he felt secure that his bodyguards could take over. Then he sat down at his black concert piano and made us listen to him play and sing Baby I Love You until well after 4.30 in the morning. (laughs) What what an insane experience to have to deal with that. And, like, that's wild. And so one thing, too, that I, I, I... I had discovered in this book, and and this might provide a little bit of, uh, I guess, not, uh, it might shed some light on why that was done. Obviously, you know, forcing people at gunpoint to stay in the studio, but it it was revealed in this book, according to, uh, according to the author, that essentially Spectre and and Stasem were were more or less working through like the word of the label who had said to to specter and Stasem, you cannot let production halt on this album like you need to keep this going don't you know you need to corral these guys right yes yes they're fucking Dee's a fucking addict and and mark's uh, mark's a drunk joey's ocd john's a douchebag whatever you know like you have to deal with all these things but like this record needs to come out it, it cannot stop. And it's then you damn. throw Phil Spector, who later goes on to kill his girlfriend. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> all these guys are in a goddamn room. You know, I just, I just picture like, I just picture Dee Dee sitting there like making a drawing of like a fucking monkey. John re- getting ready to pull his hair out. Joey's playing with the fucking door. Mark's just playing drums for fucking six hours. But Johnny ended up, in an 86 interview, Johnny corroborated, he always carried three guns around with him. We were prisoners in his house for about six hours, and we thought we were going to get shot. I said, let's go. And he pulled out a gun and said, do you want to leave? I said, no, that's okay. We'll stay for a while. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, and then... uh, you know, Marky went on to say there was no guns pointed at anyone. The guns were there, but they 
Had he had a license to carry, never held us hostage. See, and and that's always one of those things too with with Mark that you know he he seems to be pretty solid and like you know, his stories and recollections, at least from what I've, you know, what we've read, what we've listened to podcasts, documentaries, whatever. But I also think that he was very close with Phil for multiple reasons. Specifically, you know, they bonded over, over drinking together. So I would find it, I wouldn't find it too. Um, and wigs, I believe. Dude, and wigs. That is <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if part of that is kind of skewed a little bit, just because. Oh yeah, absolutely, were, were, absolutely. Boys, you know, like they were buddies. But and you know, it's funny. Day. The person I've heard talk about this least, and I think Phil more than anyone wanted this to be a Joey record, and really believed in like pushing Joey to the forefront and being, you know, the Mick Jagger. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he pulled him aside and had three hour meeting with him in 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 his mansion. He obviously wanted this to be Joey 110% and really believed, I think, in the crooning vocals of Joey more than anything. Um, But I've heard Joey talk the least about the Phil Spector end of the century uh, time period. So I I have uh, a theory on why that's the case because I've noticed that as well, specifically in this book. Um, They do mention it. Like, there is a couple quotes in here. but, But I think my my theory on that is joey was was very flattered to be working with phil because he he knew that phil appreciated his vocals and and felt that they could make this like immaculate album obviously the cornerstone of said album being joey's voice i think my personal opinion is that due to the fact of its reception which was generally favorable however there's as we've discussed multiple times between fans overall fans it's very polarizing so i think because of the because of the reception because potentially it didn't come out the way that that they wanted it to or that joey wanted it to he kind of took that to heart where he was he had a lot he had high expectations and it kind of fell on its side a little bit and it was it was kind of disappointing because it was by far in large the most expensive record they put together they spent a ton of time on it and it, it just wasn't a you know it, possibly in his eyes it's not it's not the Ramones record it could have been. And I think someone said that in End of the Century. It wasn't the record it could have been kind of thing, you know? Like, there was possibility there. There, there was a lot of strong tracks on there, but at the end of the day, I, I think he was just let down a little bit. Right. Yeah, I think I think maybe that he had such a, such a respect for, for Phil and the fact that that album didn't get over and it didn't push the Ramones into the, into the upper echelon of like the music industry. I think he was just wanted to forget about it. Honestly. Yeah. It, it, it was that hard pill to swallow because, um, I know Johnny by this point, he had expected that he would be retired. Like five records in or whatever. He was like, I figured I'd be retired by my fourth album. Right, like I would have, I would have made the money. I would be set, and at this point, just based on you know, like like we said, they they made their living on the road. Yes, they would go into the studio, they would record the record a record, cut a record, and then go back out onto the road. And this, I think, was their 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 magnum opus, whatever. This was potentially. The, the, would put them into that echelon, as you had said, where they wouldn't need to be playing shows every single night because they could do ten, you know, whatever ten thousand seater arena shows twice a month, kind of supplement their right. income a little bit more, you know, radio play, all that shit, you know, and it didn't happen. And I mean, and you know, they went on to obviously there were some staples like the Chinese Rocks cover. Mm-hmm. And obviously, rock and roll high school, and, and do you remember rock and roll radio that like stayed in the set, uh, you know, until the end for the next you know twenty six years or, or sixteen years rather? Um, but Joey, uh, Joey, you know, went on to say, I think some of the worst crap I ever wrote went on that album. That was uh, me at my worst. Johnny felt also felt that the album was far from the band's prime. And I think this album, you know, Johnny ends on, and we've, I think we've both heard this, and I think, I think it was an audio interview, maybe, 
because I think we've talked about it, but Johnny goes to say, uh, end of the century was watered down Ramones. It was, it was not real Ramones. Baby, I love you. Didn't play on that at all. What am I going to do? Play along with an orchestra or baby? I love you. I didn't play on that at all. Uh, what are we going to do? Play with an orchestra? Uh, there's no point. End of the century was, uh, was trying to get a hit on each song instead of just trying to get a hit one or two songs on the uh, on one or two songs on the album trying to make the rest of it raunchy as you as raunchy as you can they ain't gonna play the other 10 songs anyway hmm. that's interesting and that ended up being their formula i think they would have those one or two songs the you know uh she belongs to me like on an animal boy but then the rest of it you got like you know crazy super fast like you know eight man hop yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, this is an album I think would have killed any other band. You know, how many times... I mean, granted, you know, this wasn't like a jump really to, uh, you know, a bigger label or like or anything like that. But I think Warner had already, you know, owned, I think, uh, you know, Sire. Sire is more or less an offshoot of Warner. But, you know, they were going to like that top-notch A-list producer... And then they failed. I mean, how many times have you heard about, you know, the the band that signs a big contract and the album comes out on the major label and the major label album flops and then the band breaks up? I think any other band would have, in in a lot of respects, I think the reason we got another 16 years out of the Ramones was because this, I think up until this, up until and after the release of this album, they weren't chasing the dragon really they it sounds like you know they were just trying to they were trying to like establish themselves and then they wanted to create the as i said the magnum opus that was supposed to be end of the century and then they didn't so when it didn't instead of breaking up and saying well well fuck it we don't have anything out like that we put it all on we put all of our chips on the table but i think they knew that that wasn't what they wanted to do and and wasn't didn't come across the way that they it was supposed to that it made them chase the dragon of like going to to really get it as as richie had said in many interviews joey every time they recorded an album joey would say this is the one rich this is this is gonna be it yeah so i think that this forced them to you know chase that that hit record that ultimately never came well and 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 i know that i I guess pretty much up until Subterranean Jungle, um, you know, following that record, obviously Too Tough to Die kind of was that that attempt to, to reinvigorate the band and, and, you know, go back to more of a heavier, like harder uh, sound. But I, I know John in, I th- I believe in End of the Century, he had, he had said um, in his, one of his interviews, he had said, you know, we just we had to persist we had to keep the live shows were good people were showing up yeah the, the we don't have the hit record we just got to keep doing this for the fans we just got to keep we got to show up we got to play you know like put together a record you know maybe 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 and and it's it's kind of sad because that's in their way obviously it's it's a little demoralizing but at the same time it also shows i think a level of commitment and understanding where it's like I don't know, you know, we're, we're ultimately we're doing this to make a living, but like we still have stuff to say and we still have the people that want to go to these live shows, right. especially, especially at this point, because I know after this, because of the notoriety of who they had worked with, I think they were able to hit a different audience as well. I think that because this, so, uh, I, I found this pretty interesting. Baby, I love you hit number 10 in the UK charts, which is huge for a single obviously for for ramones in in particular but that to me anyway (laughs) that's not my favorite song on the album (laughs) so so to have that song go to number 10 on the uk charts again you're hitting a way different audience with that song play play i don't want to go down to the basement and then play baby i love you you're gonna get two different responses from two different people yeah i i think uh I mean, it's so funny that, you know, the, the one song that they get that is a, a chart topper over in uh, overseas is, you know, ends up being the cover song, of course. So obviously that was like a built in probably, you know, people were already familiar with it or something like that. But at the same time, I mean, I mean it was just such a interesting way to go about 
I mean, I think it was just it was it was Spectre. You know, you got to think like, did Phil Spectre have a say in what the singles were going to be as well? Did he talk with Seymour Stein and decide, you know, "Baby, I Love You" is going to be a single? Like, you know what I mean? As opposed to like, right. you know, something else. I mean, obviously, it was a little taboo to have a song like "Chinese Rocks" be a single for yeah for for obvious reasons. But that just goes to show you how crazy. I mean. When you think about the track listings for any other albums, but specifically this one, you have a cover of the Ronettes, Baby, I Love You. You have, do you remember Rock and Roll Radio? You have a song called Chinese Rocks. And, I mean, it's just so, like, that just goes to show you, like, that such the, a weird dichotomy within the band that is just so, they're the biggest melding pot of psychos ever. Dude, and, and, and I mean, I, I think that really you really kind of hit the nail on the head, uh, you know, with that statement, because even like, like I said uh, earlier, going through and, and listening to this front to back, you know, like it is, and this is what I was talking about when I said it was weird. The, 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 the album is so well produced. There's so many, there's so many like weird nuances of, of instruments that you've never heard on a record before this, or if you did, it was in very, very small doses. But even a song like uh, Danny says, like that is a strange song. It's strange to hear. Uh, obviously, when you listen to it, you're just like, okay, well, they're all playing these instruments, as we know now, not the case. But when you're first listening to it, you're just automatically assuming, at least I do, it's like, okay, John's playing that, Mark's playing that, Dee Dee's playing that bass line. And, and there's so many other, like, I don't want to say extras to this album, but as far as the production and the instruments, that's what I meant when I said it's weird. It's almost like a, a completely different direction with some of the songs. Obviously not all of them, because some you, you, you have some of the harder, more punk-friendly songs, but again, there's just, it's it's bizarre, it's bizarre to listen to it. <laughs> no, it really is, it, it, and it's almost like, you know, it's so funny, I love, because uh, obviously I, I knew that, uh, I saw several posts that it was going to be the 40th anniversary here coming up, uh, ended up being on the, the 4th of February, but I was just like, I gotta listen to it. Like, I, I mean, I, I think I listened to it just a few months ago. Like, I'll, I'll put on one, a specific record of theirs usually. Cause I, I never, it's very rarely that I do like, uh, that I'll try to like jump around and do anything like, you know, uh, as far as like playlists or shuffle or anything like that. So if I'm at work and I'm like, and I start listening to Ramones, <clears throat> I'm gonna, usually going to listen to an album in full. I'm not going to like cherry pick or do a playlist or anything like that. Um, you know, cause usually I'll, uh, I'll listen to an album, then I'll come home and then I'll, if I have time, uh, as we know, our, our schedules are usually crunched. It's very rare that I actually get to sit down and throw an actual record on these days. But, um, yeah, listening to this like from front to back the other day, uh, it is just. It, I tried to like just take myself out of it for a little bit, just to kind of like absorb the album and really kind of formulate newer thoughts on it. But it's mm -hmm. so weird to open with. Do you do you remember rock and roll radio? Going to, uh, I'm a fat kid, aka I'm affected. Um, Danny says, and then like going to from Danny says to Chinese rock. Like it's just like what? Like what is even happening? It's in, it's 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 insane. That's what it is, man. It's insane. And then <laughs> the return of Jackie and Judy. Let's go. And then baby, I love you. <laughs> and, and that's another thing too that I I, I did like. <clears throat> what I will say, because um, I do want to get your opinion, just not necessarily on where this falls, um, you know, in your ranking, I guess, so to speak. But the the one thing I do like about this is. Uh, with this album, kind of how they laid this out. Uh, I know a lot of people, especially with like the, the first two records in particular, self-titled and Leave Home, some people, you know, I've read in articles where it's like they don't like, they don't like those albums because everything sounds the same. And it's and part of that is obviously it's a, it's a common mis misconception with, with the band itself. But when you listen to this, there's contrasts in every song like there's not okay so chinese rock and i guess return of J jackie and judy like yeah those go together pretty well let's go again that, that flow is is pretty standard but 
you know, this ain't Havana into fucking Rockwell High School. Yeah, that that works. It's just this is it, it's a whole other beast, and and I think that goes into the point I was making earlier. Um, it hit a different audience. You were able to 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 kind of show this to you know someone that might not want to listen. Like I said, that someone that might not want to go like listen to like Havana Affair, but it's like you can put on you know. I, I'm affected, which there's a little bit more to the song. There's a little bit more structure. The production, obviously, without saying, is, is much better. Um, there's much more that went into it. So I, I don't know. It's it's definitely one of those albums that, like, it's the, the track listing's insane, but it's just, it's all over the place. No, it really is. Um, I mean, I, I, I believe we, I, we, we chose our favorite songs from each album when we did cover the entire discography, but... Uh, if you had to name your top three songs on this, what what are they? That's rough. So I think when I listen to this album on its own, that changes that changes the list a little bit. We both have we both own the box set, right? We we both own Weird Tales of the Ramones, right? So when I listen to that, obviously Johnny had put that together and he picked out all uh, for the most part the the quote-unquote bigger songs but i don't know man i'm a fact that i i'm a fat kid it's like i love that song specifically because of the bass line that that little intro bass lick like that's cool yeah that that's something i i don't think we ever saw in any other records no it's wild so i don't know let's go is definitely up there for me um as far as top three and this is not really in any order i uh let's go i'm affected and uh i don't know dude i like this ain't havana and even though they <laughs> they've sung about havana now i think this is the second time um they uh they're, they're solid songs man I, I do have an issue with uh what the fuck was that i was listening to it earlier and it made me like cringe what the hell was it it might have been Return of Jackie and Judy that, like, there's that weird little Sex Pistols lick in there. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know if you caught that. The yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, those are probably my three. What about yourself? Uh, as you said, I think it could change, like, by the hour if I'm listening to it. But my, uh, my number one has never changed on this album. It's I Can't Make It On Time. I just, nice. uh, I, I love that song, and, and that song, and, like, uh, I'm Affected, uh, I feel like those songs could have easily appeared on, like, Pleasant Dreams as well. Oh, absolutely. They, it's, they, they feature a little bit more of the complexities. Yeah. And that, that, to me, why I enjoyed Pleasant Dreams, and I know that we've talked about this before, I really enjoy that record a lot. And it's... It's much more the production again. I think is really good. Graham Goldman or whatever you know the the the, the individual they brought in to mix them. But um, you're right; it, those two tracks in particular easily could have been on that album. Easily, I would. Uh, that's my number one. Number two, <clears throat> number two. I'm probably gonna go um, Chinese uh, Chinese rock. Um, but number three is so hard uh normally i would say rock and roll high school but today i'm feeling do you remember rock and roll radio nice um and i love that our our three selected songs are all different right uh but that just goes to show you like the vast like what even though you know we're both huge ramones fans what we take away from each album is completely different oh absolutely it's 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 a time capsule in and of itself and you know, knowing that the primary songwriter throughout the pretty much their entire career, one could argue, is essentially Dee Dee. So it, it's wild to me when you have just um, such divide between songs. You know, and and what the what the flair of the song is, what what the vibe is, so to speak, I guess. Um, and this album is is one of those. It, that's that's interesting. That's a that's a that's a good point. You, you know, we take away different, we interpret and take away different things from every single one of the records. It's it's wild. Uh, so, you know, I mean, why do you think this album matters? I think this I, I think this album matters specifically because it represented um, a very specific turning point for the band not only because they they had since fired uh danny who you know what was or no what was it 
uh, Linden's. It was yeah, it was Danny. Danny was fired at that point, right? Yeah. They didn't renew his contract. It, he was he was on for five years. So not only do you have um, a, a change with the 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 dynamic of what the Ramones as an organization and business are, um, but now I think you're also seeing further Mark being a little ostracized because during this time period. Um, there was like a like a no booze policy like with the band like john was very like adamant about that and obviously mark did mark and dd as as mark had claimed he didn't follow that they didn't follow that but i think you're now seeing a further divide you have you have three members of the band that had big issues with this album and one guy who did it or you know, quote unquote, did it. He got along with the guy that nobody else did. Right. So, so I think I think this also this matters because again, you you are seeing a different course that the band is going to take for the next. It impacted the next two albums after the after the commercial failure of this record. You see, um, you see kind of how the trajectory that the band had had it was going to be taking for the next two albums. It, it had a direct impact. Yeah, I mean, it definitely did, and I think it was a carryover to... Because there were still elements of um, of what they were trying to accomplish. I think Pleasant Dreams and Subterranean Jungle are their take on what End of the Century should have sounded like. Mm-hmm. That was their big... I think those were their big swings. They were still doing the echo chambers on both like albums, especially Subterranean Jungle. Oh, yeah. Um. And uh, I think it forced them to go to dive deeper into trying to chase that dragon. So, so for me, this album matters because it made them want it even more when it didn't come when it was supposed to come. And ultimately, it drove them to do those two records, which some fans are polarized on those two records as well. I, I know Subterranean Jungle more so is polarizing than Pleasant Dreams. I think Pleasant Dreams is overall liked by a lot of people um just because there's so many uh classic ramon songs that they went on to play until the end of their career on that album but uh it drove them to to write those albums and then at that point at the end of subterranean jungle after deciding that you know it was time marky's time and the band had had come to a close it's time to get someone else they ended up getting richie i think i think this was the beginning of a period that drove them into like uh, you know, a madness that spawned one of our favorite eras, which was the, you know, the 80, late 83 into 84 from too tough to die until, you know, you know, through the end of their career that turned them darker, because I don't think you can imagine some of the, could you imagine like, I want to live like, I mean, if you listen to, I want to live and you listen to, you know, baby, I love you. Like it, it'll it blow your mind. You would, you'd be like, it's the same singer, but that can't be the same band. Exactly, exactly. And I think it just drove them into saying, kind of like what Johnny said, like you know, have two or three hits, but then the rest of it, you're gonna get as raunchy as you possibly can. And and they stuck to that formula, I think, to the very end. It was a very expensive uh, learning experience. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, but. But, you know, again, as, as you had said, like this, having that realization directly impacted, you know, the, the selections and how they kind of, you know, commanded themselves and their existence from that point forward. It was it's that's why that, that's why the album matters ultimately, you know. Absolutely. And it's, uh, you know, it, it goes down in infamy and, uh, you know, it's still uh, I mean, it's the only it's so it's so funny to see the album the alternative album covers with them with leather jackets on too uh and it's obviously the most different looking of the ramones album covers too you know because they're all there none of them have leather jackets they all have like a different colored shirt on like like they're in like a 60s like pop band well see it's funny you mention that because like when i was looking at the the album like the actual cover it was like it's so it doesn't like this seems like it is something out of like the late sixties. Oh yeah, like, absolutely. It, it, it does not look like it doesn't look like a Ramones record. Um, but with that being said, though, too, I, I I think 
that was all part like the vibe Arturo Vega had a quote where he was talking about this record and he had said that um, this ended up being a Phil Spector record and not a Ramones record whereas it should have been the other way around and I think that that rings true even down to the the simplest detail of the, the album art this does look like some you know some some weird like KTEL record you know of 1969 yeah like this you know like it, it, it is not indicative of, of 1980 <laughs> you know like and it's so funny that they're saying it's the end of the you know it's the end of the 70s it's the end of the century but really they're it's Phil Spector trying to take command of a band that has their own identity and trying to turn them into a 60s band in you know the course of the 1980s which is so it, it, like I, like I said there's so many like funny like I I I ironic uh you know idiosyncrasies about this album that's so uh that makes it so like compelling and and interesting and and riveting and and fun to talk about because it it is like just the the wonkiest thing ever. Well, and and what I what I also found interesting. So I, I'm glad you brought that up about um about the the level of control and you know the the 60s in particular. I think we saw. I guess you could say almost like the 50s into the 60s. You saw a period of time where the artists really were more or less commanded by the production and the producers themselves. The producers shaped the artists. Exactly. And and, and, and what's interesting about this is, this, so this book posits. I don't know how true this is, but you you would reference that that like three hour one on one meeting. And apparently, there was allegedly, I should say, there was tension that existed because the band thought that like Phil was trying to scoop Johnny up or scoop scoop Joey up and to kind of take him away from the band, be more like, oh, this is this is Joey, this is Joey Ramone, and he's going to play with just randos and I studio musicians, hired guns, whatever. And I, I think that is the uh, that's the recipe for pop music though is absolutely brilliant producer and vocalist. I mean that's what like don't get me wrong I love Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley is king of rock and roll, but he didn't write his songs. He was the voice. You know what I mean? It was the producers saying you have the you have the capabilities to perform this on a level that is you know no one else can but you don't have what it takes to write construct the hit we'll write and construct the hit you deliver it and that is the 50s and 60s stylings of pop music and that and even pop music that still exists today and that is i think what phil Spector wanted to do like i'm the brilliant producer you're the voice i love your voice your crooning voice i can turn this into like a really big thing well, and, and it, it's it's interesting to me that ultimately it it was not a success because I think it it was a testament that this spoke more to the the, the band itself. You have four fucking blockheads from New York City, and this guy is attempting to more or less shape them into his vision of quote unquote success. And it, it didn't work. This isn't the '60s anymore. You know, you're talking about four dudes from, you know, from Forest Hills, Queens. You know, ultimately, more or less. So it's like you're not gonna. Th- th- you're, this isn't gonna work. And that's why I, I really enjoy that that Arturo Vega like uh, observation of, you know, th- this was a Phil Spector album. It wasn't a Ramones record, right? It, it, that, that, more or less, that's kind of, kind of how he had said it. I, I wrote it down. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Okay. So Arturo voiced that Phil brought the Ramones into his world versus the other way around. So uh, you know, more or less, it's it's more of a Spectre album than a Ramones album. Overproduction, all that stuff. Um, I don't know. I, I I I definitely this is so this funny little side story about, about this album in particular. This was a, a thrift store find when I was in like I think like freshman in high school. Um, 
I, I, I saw it and immediately was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I, I, did I just pull this in the wild? Like, I, I, I'm not at a record store, you know? You're right. Um, but it definitely, having, it, it's a hard transition to go from self-titled and or leave home and then even fast forward to, you know, to to any of the 80s era stuff. Um, it, it's tough to listen to these one after the other without going in some sort of a chronological order because this album is so different there's it's so much it, I, I would i would argue this is one of the, the more uh this is probably the, the most uh like the, the bigger of the outliers for me as far as the the album is concerned overall oh definitely. Um, and, and, and not and not in like i'm not saying that in, in like dislike I'm just saying where it sits when you break down all the songs and you look at track listing, track listing, track listing, track listing. Um, it stands out for multiple. Oh reasons. yeah, definitely for sure. And uh, yeah, I mean this album obviously is we've both uh, expressed our views. It, it matters and it matters for several different reasons. If, if, if nothing more than, you know, pushing them, you know, deeper into the, the madness of trying to, get that hit record and then you know ultimately you know i think even joey kept that dream alive but the rest of them specifically john said you know we're just gonna play ramon songs and you know that's what we got throughout the rest of the 80s and uh can't complain at all because those were great albums yeah absolutely man very much agreed so, uh, you know, 40 years later, we're, you know, people who weren't even born when this was being talked about. Obviously, we came a little later in the 80s, but, um, you know, that's the importance of this record. Uh, or in the band in general, we're, you know, we're talking about a record that came out uh, a few years before we were born, and we're still, you know, we're now talking about it on its 40th birthday. Yeah, and it's definitely, I, I feel, um, specifically when you, you know, when you do listen to, to some, some of the stuff that we mentioned, uh, you know, in this podcast, some of the interviews you listen to the band talk about it, uh, for good or ill, this had an impact. Like, they, each one of them speak differently about this album. Even though Mark maybe wants to candy card and be like, Dee personally hated it. I thought the drums sounded like crap. Like, you know, I, I think that it's interesting to see them talk about this because it was something that was very close to the vest. It, it, it affected them in multiple ways, even if they didn't necessarily want to admit that when you watch them talk about it, you know, this, this, this the album meant something to them as well. Right. <laughs> you know, very personal, very personal. So, uh, that'll, that'll do it for this one, but I'm sure we will be discussing, uh, many more, uh, albums, uh, would you you got any off the top of your head before we uh, before we wrap this up? Are there any albums? They don't have to be Ramones ones, but I'm sure we will cover a few more Ramones ones without a doubt. Um, are there any albums that stick out to you that you would uh, be interested in uh, doing? An albums that matter on uh, the Heart Guide Media podcast, dude. Uh, I I do have a couple ideas. I would I would love to do uh, album that matters and talk about the Clash's first record. Um, I think I think that would be pretty sweet, um, and also uh, I'm trying to think of uh, I'm trying to think of possibly a Depeche Mode. Yes, I have a couple ideas uh, for something like that. Uh, let's see. I'm like st- I have like obviously everything set up um, in my uh, in my living room right now, but uh, I would love to talk about uh, the the Germs one and only album. I think that would be pretty sweet. Um, how about you? Do you have any? Uh, do you have anything off the top of your head like that? You, even if it's something that's like, um, like you had said, it doesn't have to be a Ramones record. But do you have anything off the top of your head that, that you've been as you were piecing this all together? Uh, you were kind of developing this idea and, and crafting it out. Did you have anything immediately other than this record because it was timely um, that you're like, yeah, like this is important. We should talk about this. I think. Uh when I started doing this, I definitely wanted to expand into stuff that people, I guess that don't know us that well would never expect us to like. But, uh, obviously when I start to, when I think about doing the albums, I think about doing them specifically with you and, and ET, but, um, uh, something I'd like to cover is, uh, Madonna. Cause we're both Madonna fans. Um, 
So True Blue would definitely be on my list of uh, albums to do, for sure. So um, to, to uh, build on that, I would, I would say definitely the first record. I would love to talk about that. Because to me, I know you and I have talked about this uh, ad nauseum as well, but your True Blue, that, that first record is, for me, is just like huge. Um, oh, also, it changed, you know, that, album, that, first, that debut changed the course of mm-hmm. pop music. I would. I also think we should. Uh, we should talk about. <laughs> we should do uh, no jacket required. Phil Collins. Oh my God! One hundred percent. I think. I think that album. That album matters. Oh <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. Talk about that. It sounds like we got a lot of ideas kicking up, so we're going to be doing uh, many more of these. I'm sure. I dig it. <laughs> The awesome. no jacket required one might have to be next on docket. Now that I'm thinking about it, dude, for real, right? <laughs> All right, man. Uh, I appreciate the time. Of course, uh, I'm sure there will be many more hours, and this is yet another hour that we can tack on to the many hours that we have spent talking about the Ramones, uh, not only on this podcast, but, uh, you know, off uh, recorded mics. Uh, you know, this is uh, obviously just a consummate thing, and uh, I'm sure the last thing before you or I uh, shuffle off our mortal, mortal coil uh, we the last thing we'll probably say to each other is something regarding the Ramones. <laughs> Absolutely, man. You you know it. You already know. You prophesized it. Yeah. That's how it, <laughs> that's how it is. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, thanks again, and uh, we'll be back uh, here uh, shortly. I'm sure with uh, another blank that matters. Um, and this is uh, this has been a good one. And you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. Wherever you download, listen, and stream your podcast, leave us reviews, and uh, be kind. And, uh, yeah, thank you.